Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is psychic paramedic. My guest is Sarah Grace, who used her psychic abilities while working as a paramedic in the busy California 911 system for 15 years. She now assists others with their psychic and intuitive gifts. Sarah is author of Journey into Grace, Real Life Stories of a Psychic Paramedic, and Holistic PTSD Recovery. Sarah shares her time between California and New Mexico, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Sarah. It's such a joy to have you with us on New Thinking Aloud today. Hi, Emmy. Thank you so much for having me. This is a delight. You had a whole career working as a paramedic using your psychic gifts. How did you begin discovering that you had these abilities? Oh, it was a long, slow, steady unfolding for me. But for me, um, my abilities just came on one day when I was seven years old. And I was raised in South Dakota in the middle of nowhere, pre-internet. So I didn't have any access to outside help, if you will. But one day I just woke up and it started for me with clairvoyance. Uh, I could see auric fields around people. And then over the next couple of weeks and months, went into uh, claircognizance, clairsentience, feeling everybody's stuff and seeing disease in their bodies. And then ultimately went into seeing spirit. But it was a long road between <laughs> when that first happened my understanding of what the abilities are and how to work with them, and then utilizing them as a paramedic in the 911 system. And how did you begin using your gifts as a paramedic? Honestly, it was nothing I was trying to do. So when I was little, and I started talking about, finally, I started talking about, you know, seeing colors and sensing all this data and information. Unfortunately, my family was very uh, closed and kind of fear-based and, and didn't have a real stable or supportive upbringing or structure. So unfortunately, I was met with the hellfire and brimstone, like, don't ever talk about this, you know, there's something wrong. And if you do say anything, we'll send you away. So that's how when I first, that's how I was first introduced to um, my higher awareness or my psychic abilities. And so at that moment, I developed this sense of toxic shame, like, oh, my gosh, like, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm just a little kid wanting to fit in, wanting to be like everybody else. And I carried that toxic shame with me for many, many years and did a lot, went through a lot of different life experiences, just trying to cope, trying to find a semblance of like power or identity or safety all while kind of being awash in this high sense perception. So I was really not... Um, wanting it or not really open to it. And I'd had, uh, I'd finally gotten it into a place where I was trying my best to ignore it when I got into being a paramedic. And as I started running these 911 calls and I was in these like really high octane life or death experiences and watching people die, the energy just started working through me. It was nothing I was trying to do. It was just like it'd start coming over the top of me or coming through my hands. And really my experience 
there was a lot of precognition, like knowing what's going to happen before it did. There was um, seeing a lot of spirits, especially angels and that kind of stuff. So I, I did that. I kind of unwittingly uh, was working with the energy for about 10 years before I finally was like, okay, what is this and why is this and how can I actually become empowered with it? Because obviously it's helpful. It can be helpful, especially in like extreme circumstance. You also suffered a fair amount of abuse growing up. And it seemed when I was reading your book that with that abuse, your psychic, intuitive, and spiritual gifts became stronger. Yeah, I think that that's relatively common. Uh, I don't know if it's because the uh, like cortisol and dopamine, serotonin, and the fight or flight response, or, you know, I know some people have had their gifts open when they get uh, severe head trauma. And so my whole first like 16 years was <laughs> highly traumatic. So it wasn't like a singular event for me. But I think that being in that heightened state, for me, it was literal um, fighting for my life physically. So in that heightened state, I think we have higher perceptual awareness kind of naturally. Mm -hmm. And the abuse you suffered was primarily with your own mother. Unfortunately, yes. I don't know if you want to share oh, anything. Girl, everybody's got trauma. And honestly, I see her and my whole upbringing now is like my greatest teachers because I personally find that the people that challenge us the most and get under our skin the most, I have personally found over time they are my greatest teachers because it triggers those shadow elements and the trauma that's still lying in the cells to be integrated and processed through and so ultimately it was very a very severe upbringing and at the same time i look back and now i understand like oh of course it makes sense right because i've been able to draw from so much of that trauma and um really chaos if you will and it just naturally segued me into being very very comfortable in the darkest aspects of the human psyche in the 911 system for 15 years, you know? So I don't think it's a bad thing, personally. Some of the abuse you suffered, it, you literally, in some instances, were almost dead. In fact, I believe, uh, didn't you even have a near-death experience? That was after my mom finally died. So I had a lot of physical attacks and smotherings to into unconsciousness. Um, the first 16 years. And then when I was 17, my, my mom uh, got cancer and it was relatively quick. So I think six months from diagnosis to death. And even though she was a principal um, figure in kind of that instability and that turmoil, she was still my mom, you know, and I had wanted so desperately to have uh, a connection. And I just, I never got that. You know, I wanted that safety and that mothering, nurturing, and I wanted that stability. And then it was just gone. And after that, I just went off the rails. And so for me, it was uh, drugs and alcohol and just kind of being wild and crazy and just really out of control, but at the same time, just wounded, deeply, deeply wounded without a sense of stability. And so I actually overdosed. And I had a near-death experience when I think I was like 19, maybe 20, young. And can you share a little bit about that near-death experience? 
Yes. So my experience was uh, just the expansion into that perception where everything is happening simultaneously. And so it's a really interesting experience. And for a lot of near death people that have experienced near death, um, they're familiar with that state. And so it's like I got out and I was floating and I finally felt no pain, which was awesome. And I finally felt like uh, good, which was new. And I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, like, I'm never going back there. That was terrible. And I was in this expanded state and everything was um, very beautiful fractal imagery. And it just was, I think I was kind of in this cocoon of like yummy, nurturing energy. And then I heard a female voice, which was very familiar, not from like human, this human incarnation, but she was just very familiar. And she's, for lack of a better way of saying, she was far more eloquent than I'm going to be. But she was like, we get it. We get it. it's hard. Like you chose a really hard path. And should you want to go back, you're actually going to help a lot of people with these abilities. And I was like, oh, no, I'm good. You know, <laughs> thanks. And I was kind of in that expanded state for an extended period of time. And then ultimately, I was given the choice. Like, if you keep if you come any further, you're not going to be able to go back. Um, and that's when I, there was some imagery again around, you know, what I'd been through. And then there was a sense of validation about how why I'd been through it. And then there was a kind of this, and you could really be helpful. You could really be useful. It can all make sense. And so I was like, all right. And so obviously I chose to, to live and I came back. And it's just funny because I was thinking since I chose to come back that like spirit would have everything lined up for me, you know, like every step, like this is what you do now. And that wasn't it at all. I still had to like pull myself up by my bootstraps and do a lot of healing work and, you know, really come to terms with some of my own behavior patterns and choices and, you know, really do a lot of shadow integration before I finally was like open to the abilities, if you will. And how did you become a paramedic? Honestly, um, I was just, I had gone through a lot of different things like we do when we're young and I was doing modeling and I was doing all these things. And every time an ambulance would go by, I would get this intuitive, like, you should go do that. But I was so scared of it. I was like, no way, man. Like, you know, I could kill somebody. That's a real job, you know? And I didn't realize at the time that there's a million tiny little steps between where you start and then where you end up as a senior level medic, right? And I was, at the time, I had moved from Florida. I was raised in the Midwest, run all over the place, lived in Florida, and then I came out to California. And I split with my boyfriend at the time, and I was kind of lost in this, you know, who am I, what am I doing? And I was living in a not-so-savory part of Los Angeles at the time, and there was a shooting right outside my door. And I remember poking my head out, and again, my intuition was like, you need to do this. And I just kind of had this realization like, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, just working at the at little gym jobs or whatever I was doing when I had this like knowing, like you should go do that. And so I finally was just like, well, it can't really get any worse. I may as well go give it a, give it a shot. And so I went through the UCLA EMT program way back in the day. And then once I got my EMT and EMT is the basic level, paramedic is the advanced level. Um, but I got the EMT and we I started running the 911 calls and I, 
went into South Central Los Angeles, and that's where I started my 911 career. Paramedics have the ability to help people in emergency situations almost at the same level of a physician. Correct. Yeah, we, we have the exact same protocol, except we can't write prescriptions. And there's a couple of things like surgical crikes, which is, you know, there's other things. But for the most part, yeah, we operate under a medical director, uh, but we are pretty much highest medical authority on scene. And we can do IVs and medications and defibrillations and innovations and all of it. How did your psychic abilities aid your functioning as a paramedic in such a intense area of the world? Honestly, they kept me safe. Uh, I was in, when I was down in like Compton, Inglewood, it was early 2000s. And it was uh, pretty volatile at that time. And my heightened sense, again, would always kind of give me that heads up of what was just around the corner or what was about to happen. And physical safety is one thing, but like energetic or emotional safety when you're dealing with that level of volatility, especially I wasn't, when I first started, I wasn't used to death. I I didn't realize that death and extreme trauma and essentially being there for the transition of so many people would be a big part of my dharma and a big part of my understanding my abilities. And so I had to kind of, I went through a lot of shock and trauma initially while I was getting used to seeing death every day. And once I kind of became more familiar with the nuts and bolts of the 911 calls, like how they actually run and the engineers by the engine and the captain has the clipboard and the EMT is getting the blood pressure and I'm starting the IV. There's a symphony that happens on a 911 call that takes a, a while to get used to. And once I got used to that, then my, my psychic abilities began to really come online for pretty much every single call. And I became the paramedic who was always there for death or like the extreme, you know, calls. In our industry, there's what we call white clouds and black clouds, where the white clouds, they just don't, you know, get anything good. Like they might get back pain or somebody fell down. And then the black clouds get the, all the crazy, you know, calls. And that was definitely me. And I, again, for the longest time, wasn't open to it, but it just felt very natural. Like this energy would just start coming through my hands and I would connect to the person and look in their eyes as they're dying. And I could watch the chakra systems release from the base of the spine. And I'd watch the soul exit out the crown of the head and we'd be doing CPR and I'd watch their dead loved ones come greet them. And I knew the second that they had crossed, you know, and even though I wasn't fully open to it, like I was still like not sure really, it was just fear. I was, you know, scared of being judged and, but it started to become more and more helpful. And so over many years, I got more comfortable with it. And the people that I was working with, they were just finally like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, and I, before I got educated in this field, I, I didn't know but I could definitely sense 
that like something was happening and it was actually very, very helpful. Your early experiences with abuse and mm, drug use, your near-death experience, all of that seemed to prepare you to really be on the scene as a paramedic in these true life and death situations. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, to me, there's not really much that can shock me um, because I've kind of been there myself. So I don't have any judgment. I have more empathy and understanding, even for the most dire circumstance. It's kind of like being able to meet whoever, wherever they are and being able to assist them both medically and then potentially have conversations. I love those back of the ambulance conversations about, you know, higher awareness. Sometimes that would happen. You know, people would sense and talk about their faith or talk about afterlife or whatever it was. And yeah, I honestly look back now, one, it's a miracle. I'm still alive and cognitively intact, you know, and two, I'm so grateful that I have allowed myself to experience the depth of these different experiences because it gives me that like personal understanding and both as a paramedic and now as an intuitive healer, like I wouldn't, for me, it's like, who would I be to speak about something if I hadn't personally been there? That's just my take on it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you had shared death experiences with many of the people you were assisting. Shared death. Can you flesh it out for me a little bit? Well, a shared death experience essentially, if I understand it correctly, means that you are experiencing or witnessing what the dying person is witnessing and experiencing. Oh, yeah. I did that all the time. I actively transitioned probably 20 or 30 people as they were dying. And watching somebody die is very different than just coming on a dead body. And I saw, you know, hundreds of dead bodies in all different sizes, shapes, and stages of decomposition. And so the soul attachment and experience would be a little different in that versus somebody who's actually going through the transition. What is just such an honor? Like, at first, it freaked me out. And um, I was like, what do I, what am I supposed to do? do with this because I couldn't t- really talk to anybody about it at the time, you know? Uh, so it was a lot for me to be able to handle. Um, my little human mind was trying to comprehend like, whoa, you know, I just saw and kind of went through the portal with the person, but I stayed here and they're gone. And so it's this really interesting when you hang out on the edge of life and death or birth and life, those are the two portals. And to me, ultimately being with people in the moments of death became like midwifing. And I was just, it was such an honor to be honest with you. You think about the person's been on the planet for however many years and they've had all these people and experiences and all their whole incarnation. And to get to be there as they take their last breath or say their last words, like, what an honor. You know, to me, it was just incredible. You, of course, were trying to help save their lives, which is what predominantly the medical sciences are all about. But we all know that we do transition from this life to the next one. Yeah, I mean, that's the job of a paramedic is to come in and, you know, 
do the critical um, treatments and protocols. And if you've done enough, been around enough death or done enough CPR, it's like you kind of understand, um, you know, there's, yes, critical intervention is, is paramount and it's what we're there to do if it's viable for sure. And, you know, going through the protocols with CPR and things too. It's, it's an interesting space to be for sure. Yeah. And you had developed an intuitive sense as to whether the person you were assisting would continue in this life or not. Yes. And it was interesting because I noticed that there was a difference between a medical death and a traumatic death in terms of what the soul experiences. So if you think of someone who's been in hospice and they've been sick for a while and they're kind of over it, you know, energetically, their auric field would just expand outwardly and become very, very thin. And we hear a lot about people who are on their deathbed starting to see beyond the veil, see dead loved ones. They start talking to people or maybe they'll be like, oh, I just went and visited so-and-so across the country who couldn't be here because the astral travel plane becomes available. And then they typically go through that chakra release and with the soul or the consciousness going out the crown, I began to understand that that's what the light at the end of the tunnel is. And I was like, well, that's cool. You know, like seeing how it goes out and witnessing kind of what they were experiencing versus a traumatic death. And this is my biggest, one of my biggest takeaways, Amy, is to live fully now because none of us knows when our time is up and we all think we have time and we all think we're in control. Um, but I can't tell you how many people I ran calls on, you know, that thought that very same thing. They got up, got dressed, went through Starbucks drive through and they came out and got on the freeway and boom, they're T-boned or whatever. And in a traumatic death, we would pull up, say it's a car accident on the freeway. So we stabilize the scene, get everything handled so that we're safe. And maybe the body's in the car and it's crumpled. Well, I would see the soul standing next to the vehicle, staring down at their body, not understanding. Like, because you think about it, just like any of us, you know, you're cruising along, you're listening to the radio, you're drinking your Starbucks, you're talking to your friend, you're thinking about whatever. And then boom, you're knocked out of your body. Like, it doesn't make sense. Right. And it's the same for shootings, drive by shootings. We got domestic violence. We got all these things that are happening now collectively. And it's so acute that the person doesn't get it. And so they'll kind of stand there and like, actually, I would come on scene and they would be able to tell, I think on a higher plane, that telepathic availability, it just, they can just tell, right? It's the same as spirits who can just tell when a medium is available. And they'd be able to tell that I could see them and they'd be like, and so I would literally over time, I developed a protocol like, hi, you're dead. We're going to pull you out of the car. We're going to work on your body. We're going to, and I would it, like sit there and start to explain to them very quickly what just happened. You're talking and psychically or telepathically I, with them. Telepathically, I was not verbal at all. But telepathically, I'm having a conversation with the spirit so that they could start to grasp the fact that they were dead and they had just been killed. And then nine times out of 10, a celestial would come on scene. So 
trauma calls are traumatic, especially if you've got bystanders or witnesses or family. Hugely traumatic. And what would happen is I would see a celestial or an angel and it started like fireflies. And it would gradually increase with this light until everything got coated with this really calm, radiant energy. So if you think of a car wreck and the crumpled car and the sparks flying and like you got firefighters and you got, you know, everybody scrambling around, all of a sudden the entire scene would be blanketed with this like really calm energy and the soul, the person who had just died would start to look at the angel or the celestial and eventually they would envelop and I would watch them disappear from view at which time you would transition. So I watched that, oh my gosh, so many times, um, more times that I can count. But I really, it was so fascinating to me. And again, such an honor. But before I had an understanding of, this is why you see energy, this is what this is, this is how to deal with it. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Like it's okay to be like this. Before I did my own, acceptance and integration work on that it was still a lot for my little mind to be like the heck did i just see you know and what am i supposed to do with this <laughs> that was always my biggest one i'm like now i gotta go home and like cook my kids dinner you know it was such a contrast you know yeah <laughs> right because you're you're expanding your awareness to to other realms of consciousness or perhaps even other dimensions of being Oh, 100%. Yeah. In those experiences where someone, you know, giving the hospice example or someone who's maybe had a long illness and they're about to pass, oftentimes people will report that they can sense loved ones or they might start talking about a loved one who's passed or dreaming of them. And you're sharing that in traumatic situations, you would witness angels coming would you find that there could be a mix sometimes of who might come for an individual in those various examples you gave? For sure. A lot of times in the medical, I would see family. Um, sometimes I would see pets that I assumed were very dear to that person. Uh, and if somebody was particularly religious, whichever um, denomination, I would see the archetypes sometimes of whichever um, belief structure they had. And so I would see that a lot more in the medical. For I, I can't tell you why uh, it was predominantly celestials on trauma, aside from the fact that I think it was such a high octane, such an intense resonance that I think it the the soul had to kind of come down into like a calm state of understanding before then then they could go into being met by their loved ones. And it's just too much of a jump to go from. I'm alive and worried about my life and then I'm not. And so it, it just takes a second to, to acclimate to that. Going back to coming upon the scene and seeing a dead body, someone who had already died versus coming upon a scene where somebody might be choking or they might have had a car accident or all the host of various ways somebody could die. What would you notice about the person's soul or spirit in those two different examples where someone had already passed, did were the souls sometimes hovering around the dead bodies when you came on the scene and you either tried CPR or you couldn't resuscitate them? For sure. 
So, um, I would say the majority had already kind of crossed. If say if it was a dead body and they were down for a prolonged period and maybe they already had rigor mortis or modeling or whatever, um, a lot of times it would just be the the corpse or the cadaver. And I went through, I did often see or sometimes see, and it was usually on like an unresolved. So if there was suicide, sometimes there was remorse and regret that was holding that person there. Um, or sometimes the person just couldn't, they couldn't fathom the fact that they had died and they were just not willing to let go. And so they'd be hanging out there. And so that usually goes into the next question of like, well, you know, are they trapped forever in between? <laughs> and no, uh, what I came to understand is ultimately, uh, guides will come in regardless of circumstance. And the soul will be like some have karmic contract like leveling and balancing to do before they can cross. I'd see that in some of the younger suicides. Um, and if somebody was just not okay with the fact that they had died and they just didn't want to cross, a guide would be assigned to them so they wouldn't feel like alone and lost out, you know, in the, in the universe. But ultimately they would be invited into transition, go to the light, so to speak, which to me was essentially ascending into just a higher plane of consciousness, unity consciousness. I'm sorry, say that again? Unity consciousness. Unity consciousness, yeah. And did you find that you needed to assist them or were you just sort of more being a witness and sort of holding space and allowing that to occur on some level? For the most part, it was a like observational there were a couple of suicides that early on in my career their soul followed me home because they could see that i could see them and they really wanted to explain where they were and get me to relay messages and like do this whole thing and that was traumatic to me um on a number of levels because i didn't at the time understand and then I, over time again once i opened to becoming educated and empowered with this just having, again, the conversation and explaining to them, you know, that they're dead and they've got the choice and I'll take a message and I'll do what I can, but you've got the opportunity to, to cross. And so sometimes in suicides, but that was pretty rare, you know, especially considering the amount of death I've been around, that was pretty rare. Um, on some what are called MCIs, it's a multi-casualty incident and you're going to have countless bodies. I experienced a couple of those where the souls were all just kind of lingering because they couldn't grok like what had just happened. We had um, a huge fire. There's always fires in California, but Northern California a few years ago, and it just blew through an entire town at like six in the morning. And it just torched a, a ton of different people. And I went up to do some like chaplaincy law enforcement chaplaincy work and just kind of aid and i went into one of the densest like mobile home park areas that had been burned through where the densest amount of people had been killed and it was such an incredibly eerie you know because you got the debris is smoking and the power lines are down and all the trees are burnt out and you think of all these trailers around but they were just rubble and then there was probably like 15 to 20 souls that were just floating there. And they were looking at each other, but not saying anything. And it was just one of the eeriest things I'd ever seen. And then it dawned on me, oh, they just don't know. They just don't get it. 
And so in preparing myself to go up on that um, expedition, if you will, to, to help out on that fire, I had actually intuited or essentially been told through clairaudience to take a crystal. And I put a crystal down in the center of that trailer, burnt down trailer park. And from there, an energetic like light went up and it was, it just turned into a portal for them to be able to cross. So on a higher plane, on a psychic plane, I understood that that's what my job was. And that's the reason that I had been called to that site because from there, they all started to kind of drift towards the light. Like, what is this? You know, and then they disappear into it. When accidents occur, sometimes people feel like it's maybe bad or wrong that something happened. Do you ever find or did you ever experience dark forces? I experienced dark forces not in the moments of death, though oftentimes I would see dark entity energies um, when people were, were dealing with chronic addiction issues or if we were dealing with some significant uh, violence is when I would see the dark entities. Um, and never in all those years and in all those times witnessing death, I did never see anything dark in the way of somebody's transition. Mm -hmm. So you assisted people medically in serious emergency situations while also straddling another dimension can you share some other stories of how you assisted someone while you were using your psychic gifts as well? One of the most memorable ones for me was it was right before I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, you know, what is this? Why am I like this? How, you know, I needed to get educated. And we went on a, it was a 30 year old male and he coughed and the side of his neck blew out and he dropped dead in front of his family. So he had a ruptured aneurysm is what that was. But he dropped dead right in front of his wife and two toddlers. And so we walked in on this call and none of it makes sense because he's 30, he was healthy. This was like so out of the blue and so terrifying for the family that the energy was so chaotic. Everything was just swirling and the you know, family's eyes are this big and there's screams and just like all the whole thing. And I walked in and it was more of an intuitive knowing. Again, I wasn't trying to do anything because I didn't understand my abilities at that time yet. But this energy literally came over the back of me from behind my shoulder blades. It came over the back of me and it audibly decreased the potency or the energy in the room so that we could actually work. And it literally went <sighs> to the entire scene. And I remember plain as day, two, there was a firefighter and a cop standing in front of me and they snapped their heads and they looked at each other like, what was that? And so I knew it wasn't just me, but they actually heard it. But because everybody got like calmed down enough, then I was able to delegate, okay, you get the family out, you get the, you know, ambulance prepared. We're going to start the CPR, blah, 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 blah. And then we did, did what we needed to do. So that was one where the energy came over like a wave and it was audible. And the call that changed everything for me was the SIDS call. And it was a three week old. And, you know, the firefighter comes running out and this little baby is like the size of a cabbage patch doll. And by this time, 
I'm, you know, a senior level medic. I've run thousands of calls. I've seen tons of dead bodies, including other kids. But when somebody hands you a, a dead baby or, you know, you freeze for just a second. I don't care who you are. I'm a mom. And it was in that moment that this energy kind of came and like knocked me out of the way. And I watched, I, Sarah, watched myself from the top of the ambulance, like running this call to get the baby to the hospital. And the whole way, the energy around the baby, like I kind of intuitively knew it wasn't going to die. It wasn't its time. The energy was very pink and there was a lot of golden fractals and they had almost like an avatar. They got those like little, you know, sponge things. But it's just this really tranquil, sweet energy that came with that call. And we got the baby to the hospital and the baby made it. Yay. But that was the call for me that changed everything because I was down with like, if I touched somebody on the shoulder, my hand would get really hot and kind of glow. I could see in my clairvoyant vision glow and I would be able to like energetically just intuit exactly what that person needed to hear. And so I did that a lot. And I just got to the point where I was like, after the SIDS call, I was like, you can work through my hands. You can come over the top of me. You can tell me what's going to happen, whatever, but you can't knock me out of my body. Like I'm too much of a control freak for that. Like I'm not down with that, you know? And so that's the call where I was finally like, all right, I don't, I don't know what this is, but it's not bad. And I had to face at that point that began my own personal healing odyssey and my own personal coming to terms with an acceptance of being like this. So that was massive for me. Yeah. How much do you feel your psychic intuitive gifts assisted you as a paramedic? Ah, so much. It gave me the, it gave me an edge for sure. Like, because if I knew two or three paces ahead of what was going to happen, I was prepared. I'd already have the meds drawn up. You know, I'd already have the con the cardiac monitor applied with the patches so we could defibrillate. Like I already knew. So it gave me a tremendous edge. And ultimately, like, even though I fought it and was scared of it and didn't want to be outed by my like type A alpha dog, you know, firefighter SWAT dude colleagues, like I didn't want to be the weird girl who sees dead people when I'm finally in this like esteemed position as a paramedic, you know, but ultimately, once I started to get educated, and I've studied Reiki, shamanism, medical intuition, mediumship, energy healing, all kinds of holistic healing by this stage. And so now I don't fear it and I understand how to work with energy and then I started thinking it was actually pretty cool. When you would receive precognitive messages that say that you're coming upon a scene and are you seeing images of getting out the EKG leads or how are you getting the information to know that you are two or three or four steps ahead of what it would be considered in the physical world of giving you that information? That's an awesome question. So my tell for death was always tasting metal. And still to this day, the second I taste metal, I know death is very close to me and then I'm going to be going into action, if you will. In addition to that, I my my own energy field would start to expand and I would feel like I was like stuffed with cotton. And it would be hard for me to tell where my energy ended and the energy of the scene began. 
So the second I started to expand, everything would slow down and almost go silent. And then I would be, if I tasted metal, I knew it was death. Otherwise, I would just get this like quick, you're going to need this, this, and this. And sometimes it would be auditory. Most of the time, it was just a knowing, 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 almost like watching a short video clip. Super simple. Yeah, you're definitely in the, in the flow. It seems that your abuse that you suffered growing up paired with your psychic intuitive gifts that were growing were coupled and nestled deep within you for many years because you were told at a young age to not share those gifts. And so you kept that ability close to your own self for many years. How did you finally become brave enough to share those gifts thinking that others might reject you if they knew you could do this? It was just enough where I had just seen and done so much in these extreme moments where the abilities made such a profound positive effect that I just got past the point of like caring anymore about the fear that I had carried for so long. And I think, you know, in our healing process and everybody's different, but like when we have, we get sick and tired of being sick and tired or sick and tired of the same old story or whatever, then we'll finally start to change. So I had years and years and years of firsthand tactile life and death experience with this that is irrefutable to me because I lived it, right? And so then once I started to get educated and start to dispel some of the um, skepticism or prejudice that may come along with the word psychic, the you know, it kind of started to dispel. And for me, I was like, well, you know what? whatever with that. Like, this has been my experience. I've been able to help a lot of people. And my intuition started to kind of push me towards writing my first book, which is Journey into Grace, you know, stories of a psychic paramedic. And it started to push me towards writing that. I was still a little, I was scared because my intuition was like, put all your stuff in there, like all your shadow stuff, everything you've ever done. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want people to know, <laughs> you know, when I was young and crazy and trying to cope and like all the mistakes, but my intuition and my guides were like all of it. At one point, Emmy, I was banging my head on the table next to my computer, like having a tantrum, like, no, I don't want to put that in. But I did. I put everything in. And I'm so grateful now that I did because that's what people are responding most to. One, they're like, oh, thank God somebody else gets it. You know, me too. I'm really sensitive and I am in this like corporate world or I'm a physician or I'm a police officer or I'm a whatever, but I, and I can't say anything about it. So it's giving permission for that to a lot of people. And giving people permission to be okay with their own messiness, with their own shame, with their own darkness, with their own humanity, you know, because I rolled around for a long time in instability. And I went through a lot of really challenging experiences that I imposed upon myself because I, I was just still wounded from what I had been through growing up. You know, so ultimately by 
listening to my guides and they were quite clear <laughs> with that's what you got to do. So that's what I did. And I'm just really, really grateful now. And, you know, the funny thing is here, I thought I was this lone weirdo, you know, and thank goodness we're a lot further along collectively and societally now. But I didn't, I didn't know. I wish somebody had told me 15 to 20% of the world's population is energetically um, sensitive. And that's 1.6 billion of us, you know, 55 million in the U.S. alone. And granted, there's a spectrum. You know, I'm on the super high end of the spectrum. But it's okay to be like this. And truthfully, Emmy, I really believe we're like the next genre to kind of come out and be like, hey, this is who we are and this is what we're up to. And it's okay to be sensitive. It's okay to be like this. And so that's what I understand now is my dharma. It's my purpose for being here is bridging the mainstream with the energetic and holistic worlds to help people be okay with all facets of themselves and become empowered with their own psychic and intuitive abilities. Yeah. Well, we are very grateful for what you're doing. Have you found that as, as you've sort of come out of the closet, shall we say, uh, with your gifts and writing your book and sharing with your fellow colleagues about your abilities that have several of them come forward and asked you to maybe teach them on with how to do what it is you've been able to do? Colleagues, you mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I got a lot of the, the me too, the really quiet me too. Like you got to understand in, it's a very militaristic world, uh, EMS and first responder, and it is very, very alpha and very type A. So there's just a tiny bit of wiggle room in there. It's opening, it's softening a little bit now, but it's still very staunch. And so I've gotten a lot of quiet, like, Oh yeah, me too. I experienced X, Y, Z and thank you for saying. And so like that, it hasn't been like a huge, Oh, all inclusive bear hug, you know, but I wouldn't expect that from those guys. I've, I've had many physicians, including plastic surgeons and anesthesiologists. Those guys got a lot, especially anesthesiologists. Those guys have a lot and nurses. Oh my goodness. Nurses are so empathic usually. And they're such the caregiver. And so, so many of those guys, you know, me too. I see it like this and I sense it like that. And this is how I do it, you know? And it's been so liberating for me because it's not just in the medical community it spills over into everything. It's just that, you know, we're over here kind of on the front lines and we see death more than the standard person does, you know, probably, but it's been really cool. Well, that goes to show that many professionals and people in general are having these experiences and maybe it's even more than that what did you say 1.5 billion people <laughs> it might even be it might even be more might even be more <laughs> yeah because if that's the the 15 to uh 20 percent stat you know that could just be the people that are willing to be open to acknowledge you know, and look at me, like I'm on this high end of the spectrum and I was heavily closeted for 25 years. I wouldn't say anything about it, even though I was living it. And it was kind of like, you know, I felt violated by it for so long. I felt like, you know, I didn't want it for so long. And it wasn't until I 
got into those situations where I was like, wait a second, this is really helpful, you know, and then got in, empowered. But, and that's why I feel honestly, like, um, we're in such a crunchy, obviously shadow integration period, huge collective shift in, in consciousness happening in the last couple of years. So more and more and more sensitive people are coming online, getting to the point where they're just like, ah, screw it. Like, this is how I am. What do I do? <laughs> you know, and I think it personally, I think it's all playing in perfectly to helping, you know, humanity shift in, in consciousness. Well, there are more healthcare practitioners who are engaging in energy healing. Uh, Reiki is really taken off. I think that Reiki, while that's a Japanese form of energy healing, it can be taught over a weekend or two and people can get certified so they can become validated and, and learn really simple but very deep and profound skills. And then they can go and help people. And there's even meta analysis studies now showing how it can help with pain and anxiety, uh, insomnia, and many different maladies that trouble people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's more and more bridging. We've got the Holistic Nurses Association, you know, we've got a lot of energy workers in hospital and some insurances are starting to approve like acupuncture. And so we're just looking at the, the polarity between medical systems. And like, I'm not here to poo poo on Western medicine. Western medicine absolutely has its time that it's necessary. And usually it's in life or death moments. Like lavender oil is not going to do anything for you if you're, you know, ejected from a vehicle. <laughs> you know, you need us and then you need surgery, you know. So if it's critical or if it's, you know, a specialty, like we're seeing a lot of um, myocarditis right now, right? And like some something specialty with the brain or with the heart or whatever, you actually need the interventions of Western. When it comes to chronic care, though, when it comes to wellness, it's it's a pretty broken down for-profit system that focuses on sick, right? And, and symptom prevention as opposed to health and wellness and, uh, and all of that. So over here in the Eastern modality and in energy medicine, we are starting to see a little bit of the bridging. And to me, it cracks me up because Western medicine, as we know it, isn't very old, you know, a few hundred, I think four or 500 years old in terms of the way that we know it structurally. <laughs> with surgery and pharmaceuticals and you come over here to Eastern and even energy medicine is relatively new as a coin term, but energy medicine or uh, Eastern medicine, which is essentially synonymous with holistic and energy thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. So I'm delighted that more and more people, I think people are starting to demand it. They're sick and told of being tired to take another pill and they actually want to heal. They're like, you know, dude, I'm on eight pills and I still feel like crap. Like I actually, I don't want any of this. I want to feel better. Like, and so there's more and more people are starting to break out of the old system and look for something that actually can heal at the root. You mentioned using a crystal to help souls move from this earthly realm or to assist them on their journey forward. Did you assist anybody while you were working as a paramedic energetically? I mean, obviously your presence is energy, your lovely spirit. So I, I, I just want to highlight that I do believe that that's a, a big component is who you are as an individual and your openness and your love. And I'm just wondering if you could comment on that. 
Yeah, usually it would just be the healing energy coming through the hands. Yeah. And people would just then get a sense of calm and maybe their pain or their anxiety would diminish because it's just holding that resonance, right, of like safety and calm. And so I would kind of set that intention and started, I think the first thing that I got attuned to that started, it turned my hands on, if you will, activated my hands rather, and started to teach me about like push, pull, stop, and how to work with energy was Reiki. And I love that Reiki's become more accessible and most of Western uh, no Western society, if you say energy healing, they think of Reiki, right? And so it's great. It's a great start. There's a million different things to right? We've got cranial sacral therapy, Bowen, quantum touch, like psychic surgery, medical intuition. There's all these incredible things. But just in getting down to the basics, it was just about being 100% present with that person. And I was just touching them. When I touch somebody, I get all of their data. And it's like all of a sudden, all of their stuff appears to me like this little e-file, right? Like a little data spreadsheet. And it'll be like these traumas in the early life. And this is how they've been coping. And it's, you know, bottle of vodka a day and six, you know, whatever it is, like comes up. But even beyond all of that, which is how I work with people now, right? Like helping them, like, this is where you are. This is what the medical ailment or the physical presentation or whatever is. And here's some tools to get beyond that. In the acute setting in the ambulance, I would just know what to say. I would just know what to say. I knew what they needed to hear at that moment. And it would just pure channel. It, was, it wasn't me. It was just, you know, the universe or God speaking straight through, which is what channeling is, you know. Because I would just open my mouth and say something about someone that I didn't know anything about, you know, I would just blah, 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 blah. And this, and it just felt like I needed to say it. And then it would be exactly what that person needed in that moment. And yeah, I can't take credit for that. <sighs> How much do you feel your presence or the sense of urgency or desire helped you to be an open channel for those experiences and to be able to assist people those ways? Very much. You know, I understand, Emmy. Um, I have incarnated with a very specific, uh, Dharma and kind of ability skill set. There's going into extreme violence and death and darkness, like consistently day after day for years. It takes a certain personality type, it takes a certain skill set, right? Just the same as can be said with like a preschool teacher, bless them. I could never, right? You know, or it's like some people look at me like I could never do that. I'm like in awe of those guys because I could never do that. So we all have those abilities that we're kind of incarnated with, we chose to come in with. And yeah, the, the, the potency and the intensity and like the the velocity of what I've navigated for so long, it's like normal to me when I realize that it's not to a lot of people. And it, it has really propelled me into and through my own healing process and into and through my own education process in the holistic world. And then being able to like communicate it to people that may not be familiar to this world, but they're wanting something you know, deeper, more meaningful, more holistic or yeah, 
So absolutely, it's it's played a huge part. And honestly, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It's it's an incredible ride. Some of the things and that I've gotten to experience, like incredible, and it comes with a tremendous amount of impact. And so I have to do so much to keep my grid healthy, my body healthy, my mind healthy. Because when you witness, it's like being in combat, you know, every single day. And like your brain, your amygdala change when you're experiencing that velocity all the time. So it's, it's been both. Like on one hand, I absolutely love being able to go into those spaces where everything is exploding. And that's where I actually come alive, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, I got this. But then you come back, and you're in your human form. And there's a whole other dimension that goes to it of, I got to take care of myself. You know, I got to figure out how what my system needs and how to not uh, hold on to those traumas and hold on to what, you know, a lot of humanity can be really dark. Like a lot of what humans do to each other, you know, um, it's, it's a lot to witness. And so like, I do a lot of meditation. I receive energy work. I do a lot of yoga. I spend a lot of time in nature and in silence. You know, there's a lot that I have to do for my own grid just to keep myself healthy. Yeah, because you literally are on the front lines. Yeah. How much do you feel a person does need to embark or be on a healing journey in order to be able to have these psychic gifts in a healthy way? Well, personal responsibility to me is everything. And the more willing you are to be responsible for your own health, your own emotional health and balance, your own like thought patterns and behavior choices, the more uh, access I found you'll have to your psychic abilities. So I think it's really common in the spiritual world and the psychic world to have ungrounded uh, psychics, right? And that's okay. Like it is what it is. And at the same time, what I've learned over time is the more willing I am to come down into the physical body and to, you know, take that responsibility and figure out what it is that my system needs, then actually my gifts, I've gotten even more sensitive. I've gotten even more attuned. And so to me, personal responsibility is everything and as is integrity. There's a lot of identity and atta ego attachment to being a healer, being whatever. And again, that's okay, right? It is what it is. But for me, um, I've just, you know, this has been something that's been in my life for so long, and it wasn't anything that I wanted, you know, and then being able to use them in such severe, significant times, I really began to understand that there's a level of responsibility. So the level of integrity to me is, is paramount because when we're navigating with psychic or intuitive abilities, um, we're being privy to oftentimes other people's information, right? And sometimes it's really sensitive information. And so I've personally found over time that it's, it's, it can be really delicate and it's not about, 
ego or I'm so great or whatever. Like I've just personally been burned to the ground so many times with this. Like anytime I start to get too big for my britches or think I'm really cool about something, spirit will come in and just like, no. And then it just takes me back to that place of like, oh, it's that humility, right? Like, yes, I as a person matter. And this is something far bigger than me. And being able to go into people's psyches and traumas and disease and addictions and meet them in those spaces is very it can be very delicate and so the personal responsibility for not only taking care of myself but the integrity of not getting attached right to uh, i've personally found to be paramount in in this how can people heal their own trauma and embrace their psychic and intuitive gifts? That's such an awesome question. So healing trauma begins with acceptance and the willingness to just interrupt whatever behavior pattern you're doing to cope with the trauma. So a lot of times in our culture, we're taught to be busy, 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 right? And in the slowing down, that gets us, it introduces us to the body and gets us to kind of start to anchor where the trauma lives. The trauma lives in the cells and it wants to be able to come up and out to integrate. So the more willing you are to, A, first of all, just realize that it can be different, right? There's so many people that are so in it. And they're just like schlepping through life, like white knuckling it, that they don't even have any sense that it could be different. So first, we got to understand that it can. Okay. Second is starting to take that personal responsibility. Like, what do you mean I create my own reality? No, like this was done to me. So therefore I have the right to do, you know, that's usually where a lot. No, we're creating our own reality. And yes, I get that all that stuff happened to you and it doesn't diminish the intensity. And it's ultimately our choice point of, do we want to stay entrenched in the victim of like, these things happen to me? Or do we want to say, yeah, man, these things happened to me. I was victimized and I can choose, right? And I find that that's really that the next uh, one of the biggest catalysts of which way the, the life experience will go. So the more willing you are to come down into your physical body and sit with the pain, true healing is messy business. It is not fun. It's not comfortable. There can be moments of euphoria and bliss and unity consciousness and all of that. But like when we're really face to face with ourselves and our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses, like that's where the rubber meets the road right there, you know? And if you have the courage to go in and face those parts of yourself repeatedly, then over time that actually begins to integrate out of the cells and it goes into the auric field and it becomes part of our power. So the reason that I'm so good with darkness and trauma and chaos and addiction is because I've faced all of those within myself repeatedly. So I don't like run or like, I, I just hold this resonance because it's gone into my field and now I can draw from light frequency. I can draw from dark frequency. We can balance both and play, right? So that's in terms of the healing. The more willing you are to be rooted in your power, 
or in yourself, in your physical body, then the more activating the chakra activations you can do and you can activate your gifts more and more. And that's when we really get to play. You know, it's super fun when we start talking about like, how is it that your clairvoyance comes in for you? Mine's right here on a screen on the left. Like, you know, everybody's comes in different. For your clairaudience, do you hear right ear or left ear? Is it male or female voice? Do they speak English or a different language? Is it tones or is it music? Like, let's play. There's nothing weird, right? And then we can start really, really going. But it's so important, I think. I personally find it so important that we do our own work and we do the best we can to really like heal ourselves um before not necessarily before we try to go out and do healing work but like for me it was important that i at least got a handle on myself and got a clear pretty clear understanding of of guidance and under the abilities before i felt comfortable trying to help anybody else with it beautifully said sarah for those listening who maybe aren't interested in using these skills and abilities as a career, it can certainly still enhance their lives and their own personal relationships and for their own uh, relationship with their self. 100%. Because the more attuned you become to your own intuition the, and the, the more trauma work that you do for yourself, like the better you feel in your body, you know? And the more access to vitality you'll have and you can just have more creative energy coming in it you just feel better you know oftentimes so that's a lot of times people are like well i don't want to do a full-time or a career i'm like you don't have to you can take that resonance into the court system into the jails into the schools into the office into where you go to the bank whatever right because you're vibrating a certain resonance and you just become it and when you're a happy person and you're all lit up and we're in the world that we're in, which is so dense and people are just like, you take that anywhere, you go to Target, you know, and people are going to be like feeling it and resonating. And you just never know how that, you know, your, your vibration can positively impact people to potentially start their own healing process. You don't have to be a professional healer. It's you just become it. Yeah. And what a different world we would live in if more of us were doing that. And more and more of us are, fortunately. Yeah. Thanks to people like you. Sophie was a hospice patient who knew she was about to die, yet was very serene. Could you share a little bit with us about her? One of the coolest people I've ever met and um end stage hospice frail or transporting to the hospital very clearly she was about to die there's a translucent quality that happens to the skin right before people die usually they get gray, like gray ashen but then there's like this pearly translucent thing and so she had that going on but her soul was just deep and clear and she was almost there was no fear there was just this calm reservoir you know when you get around old soul people that are just like they just vibrate at this resonance that you just want to just like lay into like oh what do you know <laughs> how did you get like this this is amazing and she just had this like tranquil calm energy as she knew she was gonna die 
soon. And I said to her, I believe it was like, you know, how are you like this? You know, I see so many people that feel really victimized or kind of doing a poor me thing and the moments of death or whatever, like, how are you so serene? And it was like, she understood. She's like, I'm a fragment of God. I'm just going home. You know, so I got goosebumps just even thinking about that. And it's just incredible to me, uh, her soul essence, one of the most profound souls I came across in 15 years and thousands and thousands of 911 calls, like real honor. And they all taught you various aspects of their life that has aided your life that can then go on and help others' lives. Very much. And again, bringing it all the way back around to let's live now and let's not take this so seriously because none of us are getting out alive, right? And that's okay. Death is like birth. It's a very natural, cyclical thing. There's nothing to fear. It's like taking off a heavy coat and nothing to fear in that. But like, Sometimes we get so lost in the the work or the processing, or sometimes we get so inundated with the heaviness that we forget, you know, that we have the choice. So I just advocate, you know, to you and to myself and to the listeners, like, go on the trip, <laughs> like burn the nice candles, use the nice towels, like, you know, get out your cutlery that you are, you know, saving, like, let yourself have it. If you want to have an experience, like be courageous enough to let yourself have that experience. You know, again, we try to bubble wrap and protect ourselves for this inevitable. At some point, all of us will shed the body. So how about we have some fun? Yeah, I like it. Sarah, is there anything else you would like to share with us today? I just want to thank you again for, you know, showing up and having this incredible space and show you guys do so much good and help so many. So thank you for having me here. And for anybody that's listening. So one, I do have journey into grace uh, is available through my website and on Amazon. And that's the book that we've been talking about here today. I will have another book coming out who is going to save you now. And so that'll be coming out in 2023. So look for that. But you guys can find me on my website, sarahkgrace.com. And that's S-A-R-A-H-K-G-R-A-C-E dot com. And we've got a really sweet community on there. Uh, it's a membership. You guys just can come if you want to have access or ask me questions or hang out or whatever. You're more than welcome. But just thank you so much for this time. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And thank you, Sarah, for all that you have shared with us. And thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Emmy. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.